Welcome to the Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. I'm Christine Murray, founding editor-in-chief of The Developer and director of the Festival of Place. Our ambition is to break down silos and bring people together to unpick what makes places thrive. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Lee Bofkin, co-founder and CEO of Global Street Art. They're an agency with a mission for us to live in painted cities. They've created hundreds of murals across the UK and in particular in London as founders of the London Mural Festival and initiators of the Art for Estates program. Today we'll be talking about why an increasing number of developers are investing in large-scale murals as part of their public art strategy to nurture a unique sense of place, create a welcoming atmosphere, connect with communities, and create memorable place markers in the city. So Lee, thanks for being here. Can you tell me who you are and what you do? Good afternoon, Christine. Thank you so much for having me on The Developer. My name is Dr. Lee Bofkin. I'm one of the co-founders of a company organization called Global Street Art. We exist with a mission to live in painted cities. We're known as the foremost mural painting organization in the UK. We also paint a lot nationally, uh, internationally. Um, a lot of our business is hand-painted advertising, so we're uh, well known for uh, popular murals for brands uh, as well in the outdoor advertising space. But we do a, a lot with the developer community uh, and in the sort of, um, real estate space as well. Uh, we've got a lot of things around that that we do too. We also have a huge community side to what we do. Since 2012, we've organized um, 3,000 legal street art murals. We have some amazing programs, including Art for Estates, including Art for Estates, which uh, puts murals into, helps get murals into housing estates in London. Uh, at no cost uh, to councils and residents. We've also got another program called Building Sites, which uh, turns construction hoardings into rotating galleries, which is really relevant for, for the real estate sector. Um, and um, what else can I say? A London Mural Festival is us as well. So every four years, we organise a very large mural festival. The first one was last time during COVID. So the second one is coming up next year as well. Um, but I can take you through the stats of that later. But that's, that's pretty much what we do as an organisation. Uh, me, my own background is a bit of a strange one. Uh, I used to be a, a scientist and a, a breakdancer. Um, but that was very, very long ago and sort of different worlds collided between kind of culture and commerce and finding the, the balances between those two. Uh, and Global Street Art is, is, is where I'm at now and where we're at. I want to start with that mission to live in painted cities. Uh, and I know you you talk about um, this kind of being you know core um, as well as the support for emerging artists and the promotion of street art. Um, but you know what is it about the painted uh, the painted city? What is it that you feel the role of um, of mural painting or murals are, or this painted city concept um, is in in making it uh, a better place to live, more livable yeah. places? Well, okay, so that's great. So there's two parts of that question, really. One was, you know, the smaller part of it is the mission itself and the statement around it. And then it's the really like the role of art in public spaces and how we contribute. So I guess to step back, we chose the mission. I chose that mission in, to, to be something to strive for and something that sounds really great, but you then have to define it and work towards it. And defining what a painted city might look like is part of the challenge in and of itself, because you have to support and fund it. It has to represent diverse voices. And there's lots of elements to it that, that make it interesting to discuss what that mission actually means as well. The second part of that question then is more around the role of art in public spaces. 
there's a multitude of things that that street art, murals, painting, expression can bring to public places, and they range from kind of simpler, more to more complicated. You know, a very basic one, obviously, is just color, bringing color and life in a very simple sense, uh, which it, it, people respond to color emotionally as well. You know, it's, it's it can be as simple as a small element of joy to someone's day, but then there's also opportunities for interaction. Uh, murals become talking points. They're, they're things communities can coalesce around, can have an opinion on, can feel and take ownership over. I think in a modern context as well, street art and murals have got a lot to do with play and how younger people today uh, play in a digital sense in terms of making content and, and capturing them themselves and the escapades, you know, in public spaces. Can't believe I've used the word escapades, but there you go. Uh, but just, you know, making content essentially. So providing backgrounds, backdrop spaces for that um, is a, a modern sort of phenomena that's quite interesting as well, which is part of street art. I guess there's a signal that public art does as well about a creative community that is thriving in that space. Um, and I guess stepping back from that, the more public art you have, the more it normalizes the idea of public art. So it's almost like one of its roles is just being there because it kind of should be. It's more art and expression. Uh, and by being there, it normalizes it and increases a future expectation of it. Um, and I think that's, you know, a, a probably a richer answer than just the common things we think about of like wayfinding and community identity is incredibly important and public art can have a very strong role for that as well um but there are other functions beyond that ownership of space and wayfinding as well so you know i think that's Probably. When we think about street art, we kind of think about illegal street art. I think a lot of the time we think about, you know, tagging or murals or Banksy mm. or, you know, this idea of um, of things kind of popping up and there being huge uh, cultural and creative richness in this. I mean, you know, with neighborhoods um, in Bristol or in, in Shoreditch kind of having been put on the map many ways for being, you know, places where where street art can be seen and experienced. Where what is the difference between legal street art and illegal street art? And is there any tension between these two um approaches to 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 a painted city? It's an amazing question and quite a challenging one because some of the the semantics or how we define or talk about it really impact how we'll think about it. So I think when you think of street art or graffiti, you've used both terms, but focus on street art, there is a, a subculture, there's an aesthetic, uh, and there can be a crime. Um, but which of those is a component of any specific action or not? is 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 open to sort of challenge and so you know obviously we do things with with permits and permissions and you're right uh, some people don't and or, or do but without permission and there's a cultural richness to that as well i guess one of the distinctions that you can have in public spaces is it legal or illegal which is really does it have the consent of the space owner i guess you could also ask as a distinction the quality of it is it good or not good or pro-social as in does it benefit its local environment or does it detract from it and that may or may not be related to its legality at all it might not have had original permission or authority in the first place but become a much loved mural there's plenty of examples of things like that happening um that's owned by a community later so really i think the most fruitful conversations we can have around that is about what are those po potential positive benefits and how do we encourage that ultimately when you plan or or or, or um uh you want to change the culture or support culture in any urban space uh 
you want to, this is not my quote, it's, uh, I can't remember the professor's name, it's Adam from UCL, you, you want to do more of what you want more of. So you want to encourage more of the kind of art that is generally popular, that people see, uh, uh, add something, generally agree, add something to the, the space and the environment. And so you have to foster a culture that encourages that. And the legality is important that, that you have a, a, a structure in place that people can get permits and permissions. This point about permission of the landowner seems really important, especially with some of the work that you're doing in terms of um, the art for estates program. You know, this idea of community consent or community ownership or landowner permission uh, seems to bring uh, street art and graffiti into a, a place um, that is perhaps more pro-social. Would you agree with that? I think you've raised a really interesting point about permission generally and the importance of landlord permission. I think the first part of that, and you're right to say permission is required for a, a, an element of pro-social art, is because it takes time and resource to paint something beautiful, so often, not always, sometimes you can do something beautiful and quickly, but for a lot of things that really show care and love and appreciation of a space, it takes time to do that. And you need the permission in place to be able to, to, to have the time to do so without being under duress. Um, I guess the second part of that on the same spectrum, but, but more so is once the permission is there, under what circumstances do you do you have wider community involvement? It depends on the purpose of the painting and the resources available. So resources is, is there a budget for, for the workshop and the time required to do that? And all of those kind of, you know, fairly processed driven things but then there's also often artists may and, and should have spaces that they can paint for themselves and to express what they want because a, a a city should allow for their voices to be heard as well it shouldn't always be that uh, uh an artist must only paint for the whole community i think it's valid they paint also for themselves but there is a very much a scope for broader involvement. And when we say, who are we painting for? We ask that question and talk about permissions with the right amount of resources. It's wonderful to have a project that paint very much for the local community and what they want to represent uh, with a level of involvement that that community can really have ownership over the, the success of the outcome. I wanted to um, highlight one of the other things on your mission, which was, um, you know, the support for emerging artists. I mean, presumably it's not easy to be paid uh, traditionally for street art, although mural painting was obviously a, a traditional trade to kind of hand paint sides or to hand paint um, in general. But, you know, is this a huge thing to, in terms you discuss the building sites program or Art for Estates or London Mural Festival to actually have commissions as an artist to do this work? Is that, um, is that really groundbreaking or, uh, you know, life-changing for these artists? So you raise a couple of issues there. And again, I think there's a spectrum of uh, the, the, the position an artist is in their career to, to how they interact with this system. There are plenty of opportunities for artists to be fully paid and earn a really good living from street art and mural painting. I think it's important that people do know that, that people, obviously, artists can make uh, money connecting directly with their audience and selling prints, selling art, gallery shows. There's that whole pure art system. Um, and But then there's also artists that work commercially from sign writers to the artists that we 
retain uh, for hand-painted advertising, for example. So there's plenty of opportunities and, and working artists that will run the gamut from regularly painting kids' bedrooms to, you know, uh, a very large-scale intermittent projects in their specific, an artist-specific style. There's, there's a whole industry where artists can make a living from their work. Um, but to get into that industry or have that opportunity, you do need uh, entry points that lower the barrier to entry for emerging artists. So things like legal walls that people can go and practice, uh, spaces to learn and experiment. You know, there isn't a substitute for painting at scale. The there's tools and techniques that you learn by doing it and materials that are better suited to very large scales. You to, to practice and be good at those, you have to do it at scale, at some scale. So it's important that artists do have those opportunities as well. But there's an awful lot of walls in the city that aren't painted that people can make look slightly better. So, you, you know, it's a, it's a big, big cities of walls around the world. You don't have to be the very best artist in order to make something look much better. You know, as defined by whomever in, in this specific doesn't exist case, but, you know, people, uh, the more opportunities you have to paint, you know, we're all artists and, and everyone could, you know, may be able to get a little place to exhibit somewhere. There's a lot of walls, right? Um, so there can be, you know, it is really important to provide opportunities for artists who are less experienced to, to, to hone their craft. Um, and some of that does look like providing some spaces, well, plenty of legal walls for people to have their first go. Uh, but there are also legal walls all around London, for example, where that's much more prevalent and you don't need permission. It's simpler to organise places like Leak Street or Waterloo Tunnels where you can go 24-7 and you can you can practice, you know, when you when you want. What are the challenges um, in terms of getting spaces, uh, you know, for legal for legal street art? I mean, what have you encountered? What are some of the perceptions that you, you know, would like to change? That's a really good two questions. I think the, the, what are the challenges in obtaining spaces? I, I think the, the first is the challenge of obtaining spaces. It, it requires admin, right? You have to go and ask someone permission. And that means you need to find who owns the space, which is not always easy. It's not always one person. That's the real, that's real estate. You, you know, you might have the leaseholder, not the freeholder. And, but presuming you can knock on a door somewhere and, and, and that's really what it is for most people. They're not going to be using like a, search engines and anything more complicated than that. You need to be able to find the person. They need to have the authority to give permission to like whoever is asking enough to want it to happen and they'll let you do it. And then there's also some like health and safety and other considerations, obviously, but there is an administrative challenge. And if you're a busy working artist, to also be able to go out and get permission for a wall or a series of walls takes additional time that you may not have. And if you want to, for example, paint in London, but you live outside of London to have to come in for yourself, find a whole bunch of permissions and then come back to paint another day, like that's quite a lot of effort. So it, it there is a, a space for people to add support by helping artists get permissions and taking that administrative burden away. And that's what we've spent years doing in various guises with various programs. Um, and you're very right to point out that, that, that there are also challenges in perception that may get people to say no right or not say yes rather uh so some common objections might be around the legality generally because landlords might not know or want to take risks or can't maybe there's apathy that's one of the challenging parts of it um but there's also perceptions about who's doing it and 
you know, that they're going to be naughty and you might be scared. I don't know what that might be, but who's doing it or what it might look like. You know, there's reassurances to be done there as well. And if someone has a preconceived idea of uh, a preconceived idea, maybe maybe what they want or would be open to, and that doesn't match with what the artist wants to do, well, that doesn't work either. So you also need a landlord who, you know, it's very common that if you ask a shop owner, uh, can I paint something on the outside of your order? Yeah, but it's got to relate to my shop. Well, that's a commission and I'm not, I can't work for free. So, so that, you know, there are like common problems that any working artist would have when trying to get permission for, 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 to paint in public space. I think that's a really important distinction. So can you talk through that? You know, what is a commission? What is the line between a commission and uh, a piece of street art? Uh, actually, that is quite a nice distinction because the idea really is if it's, a, I would say if it's a really a, a, a piece of street art, it's for the artist. If it's a commission, it's for the client, right? So if there's a commission, there's a brief, it needs to include or not include certain things. It needs to ha have a relate to a certain topic. Um, uh, uh, you know, it might be for a commercial brand, the QR codes, the hashtags, the content, all of those things may come into it as well. But it's a commercial project as opposed to a self-initiated project or something that is a feels like a community project. But community projects may or may not be commissions. It depends, again, who's driving it. So if a developer or someone with a building site wanted to get in touch with you and talk about a wall that they had, what would that conversation be like? And, you know, is that a commission or is that sometimes just arranging space and how does it work? Um, I mean, it varies. Very. It, 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 if a developer wants to get a hold of us and say, hey, we've got a wall, what does that look like? Um, the conversations vary from there, but it's usually when a developer does that, they, they've got an idea of something specific. It, it's, hey, we've got our own space. Can you come and paint it? It sounds inherently like a commission. And then you would say, well, look, well but let's be upfront about that because you don't want to not pay or not pay much for something and end up with something you're not happy with. Let's do, you know, let's treat it sensibly as any anyone would and say, right, we, we're going to but it depends on the space and what the developer wants to encourage so generally i would say look if that's what we're encouraging and that's what you you know that's the route and the conversation we should have it ends up with a result that everyone's happy with there will be cases and occasions where you'll have developers that might give up a, an elevation a section of their hoarding to like a local school or something like that and that doesn't feel a commission in the same way it's more of a public service but then of course that needs health and safety that needs materials that needs adults managing it so there are other complexities in that um but i guess what i'm saying is there's a range of solutions that work for different sites think of it as a spectrum of commercial opportunities some will be staunchly commercial and most things will lean towards that but then there's plenty of opportunities where it might involve a charity there's there's other things where you know sometimes the rates might be flexible based on that kind of brief but generally when a developers picking up the phone and calling and asking for something you would tend to treat it like a normal project by which I mean just a commercial uh, inbound brief. In which case you would kind of work with an artist to come up with, uh, you know, you. how do you choose the artist for a project? Sure, you, I think I probably, 
I probably need to step back a little bit and talk about kind of global street art specifically at that point, because we're now 30, 35 people full time. We have uh, an amazing in-house design team uh, that's four full time. But then we've got other staff artists fully uh, in-house as well that add to that. So we've probably got a, like an almost like a 10 person design team equivalent that produce really amazing work. Um, so we do take some briefs and where a client's got a very either a firm idea of what they want or a more tight brief. It is more uh, uh, it often really helps that we would be the ones designing it because we're very much designing it for them. If there is a project where uh, a, a developer, say, wants a, something that's really stylized and they want something that looks like an artist style, work with that artist, obviously, you know, and then we would bring in someone because of their style the aesthetic fits better than we would design in-house it's just not something that we as generalists would say well we would say that this is better to work with this person to do this uh, and sometimes artists will bring us into projects to help them execute as well so you then do the health and safety the the all, all of the risk assessments the materials the logistics the vans the the ground staff the support painters there's a, a method that we use to sketch, which requires offsite labor beforehand. So all of that effort. So often we will like, e even when we're working with uh, a lead artist who's outside of our organization, we'll bring them in and give them like the jetpack to help them scale so they can paint something that much bigger with the support of our significant big team. Um, so how we choose an artist depends on the brief and essentially what's uh, what, what's most appropriate. So funnily enough, the answer to how we choose an artist sits all really on the client side and what the client wants to do. That's different than if we're working on a very community dri project, driven project by us that we're initiating, say, in a housing estate where we've got a number of walls uh, and there maybe isn't that kind of commercial backing or maybe there is some, but we might it might be that we're doing it with artists that are just in the right place at the right time there's 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 different reasons for uh it, it depends on the level of curation i know lots of um people in the business ask about maintenance whenever they create anything nice be it a garden mm. or a wall is there uh is there like a duration at which a, a mural lasts or are there special considerations for maintenance that people need to know about or is that something that artists come by and and touch up and how do you deal with things like graffiti on street art i know that's less likely to happen in some ways they say but is that something yeah. oh the maintenance question the very big maintenance question look i think um look we're basically we are on on the very cold hard edge of the conversation we are a surface uh a material solution you know there is cladding there is a living wall there is paint we are a material, it has a lifespan and an expected life. It's very strong. It's relatively inexpensive to apply, relatively inexpensive to apply uh, uh, paint to a surface, obviously versus something like a cladding, a clad material, you know. So there is a lifespan. We, we're careful on the materials we use. If there's a specific plaster that we're going on to, you have to choose the paint that is certified acceptable to go onto that. There are some considerations that go in. Um, the lifespan of murals, we've repainted some murals uh, for Town Council. Well, there was one in particular that I think was originally painted in sort of 1980 uh, or the early 80s. And 30 years later, we were there, you know, 13 or 40 years later, we were there um, painting over and, 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 and improving its lot. 
um, murals can last a very long time. And in fact, you know, often if you leave it up for a very long time, it may outlast or certainly last. Uh, the render behind it may start having problems in the same similar time frame to when the paint starts failing and having problems. But obviously paint does fade over time. It depends on the colors that you're using. Yellows and reds fade faster in sunlight. You know, blacks, black and white will look great for a much longer time typically, but even black will lose its tint a bit and go gray and the white will go a little bit gray as well. So everything sort of descends to like the prevailing color of local pollution over time, I suppose. Um, but, but you know, it, it costs a lot less to put a mural on the wall than quite a lot of other solutions. And hence the maintenance is a lot lower as well. Um, there are coatings and varnishes that you can use that uh, in theory preserve uh, the, the life of, well, that do elongate the life of mural as well. There's undercoats that you can use. Graffiti does happen. Um, you can either have anti-graffiti coatings on a surface that make it easier to clean off uh, graffiti that goes over the top of it. That's um, I don't always have great confidence in those solutions. We would just say, look, if it if something like that does happen, just repair it, just just keep painting over it uh, with you know to fix it. So we sometimes have some very small maintenance contracts over some sites. So uh, one particular building in Shoreditch that we you know is very close to the office that we go and do touch ups either on a on a um, you know a regular maintenance contract or an ad hoc basis. Um, it, it doesn't tend to come up as a conversation all that often because the proposed lifespan, I would say, of most murals, very few of them are planned to last for 10, 15, 20 years. Most, a lot are put into meanwhile, obviously everything on a hoarding only needs to last for a year, five years, something like that, a few years. You repaint it anyway, and that's fine. If something's going on um, like a meanwhile space or something's you know, to be demolished, there's often it will be that a developer will want to repaint something five years later because the aesthetic might have changed as well. So it, it, it kind of depends. But also people have a real affinity with some murals as they fade. We all talk about ghost signs every once in a while, the old advertising, the old hand-painted advertising that we're really fond of that stays around the city. Obviously, some of those can be 100 years old or they're, you know thereabouts now, and they look beautiful in their fading. So uh, maintenance for some of those things just may not be appropriate because as they fade, they take on a different charm. I want to bring up the Art for Estates program. Can you tell me a little bit more about what it is and some of the projects um, that you've taken part in? Sure. Art for Estates was an accident, is an accident. It was a program that, that, that came about, like so many things, by a really lucky accident. Um, essentially, years and years ago, when we were that much smaller, many of the murals that we were painting or organizing or producing or helping were in and around Shoreditch because it's where the office was. So, excuse me, it was very easy or relatively easy to get permission for walls in the local neighborhood. There was so much painting happening in Shoreditch at one point, especially on, there was a, there was a, a period where there were so many construction hoardings for all the hotels that are now finished that you could cross the street and you would be painting and then you could cross the street again and there was another site and then there would be another site. And that, that was, really fun but there was such a that was it 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 went hand in hand with the time that instagram was sort of taking off more and people were seeing more and more through their social feeds um and that in reality some of the pieces were going over really other good pieces that were only painted a week two weeks before and we thought well if there's all that effort and all that artistic creation doesn't it make more sense to like unwrap it a bit around the city so that for the same amount of artists painting and effort more of the city could be painted instead of just repainting stuff 
Uh, and then we started getting permission for landlords. We did call outs for walls. And there was a housing estate, the Chalk Farm housing estate in uh, Camden, borough of Camden, where um, we thought a landlord owned the wall that backed onto the estate, but the wall basically the landlord of the well the 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 manager of the estate said oh no this is actually it's our wall but i see that you guys are trying to do something good please don't tread in all the dog poo because there was a really messy wall that had loads of old tags and he just said let's finish it and then let's come back and chat so we finished this mural under the grace of of christmas's name christmas Slayer. um we went back had a chat and then we started a program with the consent of the 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 I think it was TMO, tenant managed organization. It was as an equivalent of a TRA, tenant resident association. But basically, the residents association said, Yeah, we'll start a program. You suggest artists for these different walls. We'll say yes or no to whether we like the artist based on their track record, their online profile. And then we'll see how it goes. And I think we painted probably about 30 murals in the first housing estate, it made ITV London news. It was a really good positive news story to come out of a housing estate. Through that, we met. Um, uh, uh, members of the council that helped us speak with residents. It was really residents in other estates that always would say yes or no. And then we spent quite a bit of time just going to pitch essentially our painting services to residents, but at no cost to the council and no cost to the residents. We were just saying, look, we'll provide the materials. The artists want to paint anyway in this guise of it. Can we use your wall and it will last longer? And it, especially for artists that were visiting internationally that wanted a good experience of London and maybe weren't here for very long. They just wanted to paint something. They weren't looking for this commercial opportunity, this to be a commercial opportunity. Uh, it was just, if I can paint something and it looks good and lasts for a few years, I've had a really lovely holiday in London. That was the kind of way that it, it sort of started out. But then over time, there's been some opportunities for funding, working with different councils. We've worked with Wolfham Forest. We've worked with Tower, we worked with Tower Hamlets very recently. We've worked with Barnet. We've worked with, I believe, Hackney, definitely with Lambeth and Southwark. Um, and I'm, I'm forgetting some other uh, London boroughs, you know, it's 31. So, uh, but, but we've painted in a lot in, in a number of different housing estates over the years that really, um, and, and, and it's just, again, it's about what we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, which is about like, normalising art and expression. Not everyone needs to like every piece of art to generally accept that the idea behind the programme is good. Um, but so long as it's within bounds that it's not going to be offensive. And if there is something that goes wrong, uh, I, th I think we only ever had that sort of once or twice. There was an artist we worked with years and years ago that painted a fly on the side of a dustbin, essentially, and someone was offended because it was a fly. And so we just painted over it, right? So the remediation is if it doesn't work for anyone, well, we'll take the final photos and then, you know, we can make good after. But it's so rare that there's ever problems because we're working with like really nice people that, you know, just generally most people are really nice, you know, and as a result, as a result most artists are really nice as well um, and want to generally do nice things. So it's very rare that that program has, has, has had any challenges and it still has very, very little funding behind it, but occasionally, because we don't have anyone applying for that funding, but occasionally, um, you know, we 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 will we'll get like little bits of funding here or there that help the project scale a little bit. But we're always looking for new walls to paint. I mean, why wouldn't we? You know, um, we 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 have so much paint from the commercial side of our business anyway, which we give away to our friends when it comes back from a commercial job because it's a 
half full can of tin of paint, spray paint, that you can't take back onto the next job site because you need to know how much paint you've got for stock management. So every tin of paint has to be full. It's all the half used stuff that comes back. You're not going to throw that away. So just the overspill that we have, event, you know, as ultimately uh, uh, we've used to sort of like have this kind of circular really nice community thing around us where we give that to artists to, to go and have fun with and do things like art for estates or paint their own thing for fun wherever they want to on the weekend for them as well because they're our friends you know so it's, it's 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 that's the kind of feeling that's run behind it and as that program has continued does it continue to be something in which residents are involved or can it be you know is it is it does it come in different shapes and sizes very much comes in different shapes and sizes and it, it comes down to like the resources applied for it we've had some brilliant projects recently working with barnet where there's like sort of small amounts of funding same town hamlets we've had really wonderful community engagement workshops sometimes we've painted things that were designed by kids and we've maybe compose them together a little bit differently, but you can have as much community involvement as you want. And if you choose such a crazy mission to live in painted cities, you need to allow for all of those things to happen. And so we tend to have a flexible mind state on how we could work and stay open to what those possibilities are for working with councils, residents and developers in lots of different ways. It strikes me as a really inspiring thing for, for kids because we often talk about um, that kind of agency in the city and that feeling like you may not be able to build a building or do any kind of major change. And yet the kind of idea of paint is such a, a powerful impact for something so simple. And like you say, it's a surface treatment and yet mm. it has so much more um, character and expression of place. And, you know, the idea that a community uh, a residence association or children can have such a huge impact on their estate in, in what is a very short time frame. you know, not like a, a 10 year project, but I mean, you know, that can kind of take place in a matter of, of days or weeks. You know, my response to that is that, um, spent a bit of time thinking about it, that, that progress is only possible in the world if people take responsibility for more than just themselves. If you have a system that allows people to take responsibility for their public spaces, even in small ways, it makes a habit or makes us empowered to be responsible for more than just our own singular lives and that's ultimately makes us better citizens interacting with other citizens if you can own or shape public space you you are more likely to care for it there's been umpteen studies and it's a very well-known idea that where something is felt ownership or pride over people fight to keep it you know and so so empowering young people to shape their public spaces in whichever any small way anything better than nothing is better than nothing um so i wholeheartedly agree but i think there are you know there are ways that people can be involved and you know it's a it's a challenge like I, I, this, the, I i have faith that there are ways to be involved but the, the cold hard reality is often young people aren't very involved in shaping their public spaces and those opportunities are few and far between the questions we should really be asking ourselves is what kind of simple interventions can or could there be that allow younger people to shape their spaces um and working with artists directly uh in not just housing states but but walls in people's local vicinity is one way that 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 can that can manifest 
I want to bring up the London Mural Festival. I mean, was it the first one was in 2020 and 2024 yeah. is fast approaching. So tell me about where it came from, how it went, and your kind of vision for that going forward, and and also why. I mean, 2020 is a year that sticks out for many people. <laughs> um, and I, yeah. I can imagine actually murals and, you know, art in people's windows, it was very much part of a kind of... Um, there was a, a moment where the mural or the kind of display of a rainbow or, you know, kind of hearts or messages yeah. to the community became so important. We all understood that this was kind of a, a way that we could communicate with each other when we couldn't necessarily be together um, yeah. and kind of, you know, be in institutions together or have a way to speak. Obviously, um, the Mural Festival has a life beyond that moment, but uh, mm. maybe you could just tell me the story of the festival of 2020 and where it's going. Yeah, I, well, that's such a huge bunch of questions in one. London, London Mural Festival was a wonderful experience. Um, and... Global Street Art has been doing things like that for many, many years. It was not the first mural festival that we'd organised. We did one in Sydney many, many years ago. We helped start Broccoli Street Art Festival, which ultimately ran for, I think, about four or five years. For us, a London mural festival was a natural extension of the things that we were doing anyway. And because I think this year so far we've painted... We're at, we're at 3,000 community murals since uh, 2012. So it's a few hundred, 10 years, 300 a year is about right. And I think we're on track for that this year as well. 300 pure art murals. It has nothing to do with our commercial business. Um, we help organize so many public art murals anyway. It just made sense to put a badge on it and then just concentrate the time a little bit and then go wider because we were kind of doing it anyway, but there's no press moment. There's nothing for people. There's nothing really big enough to necessarily shout about or make a big enough splash. So that was some of the ideas and the experiences that we had doing other street art festivals that led into a natural extension. London Mural Festival was just an extension of what we were doing anyway, it was really where it came from. It was an aspiration and a bit of a dream uh, that we would do things of that scale. And we want to be supporting street art festivals in every, you know, the mission is to live in painted cities not painted city so to help street art festivals establish in you know and other street art projects establish in as many places as possible um london mural festival the original one happened during covid it was really a challenge a lot of it was touch and go that we could do any of it but what we realized is this was working under social distancing anyway you had typically an art one artist because it was their work in a lift and a grounds person at the bottom, never going anywhere near each other for days. And you can't do that at home. You have to do it at the work site. And we had other commercial projects for different bodies at the time that, that most got paused or stopped. But some of the public space ones for big authorities carried on that gave us the confidence to say that this was still an appropriate thing doing. But because it happened in COVID, there were no other festivals of any kind anyway. So we were almost like one of very few good news stories around public events, certainly, that could happen in COVID. And so a lot of people got on board, a lot of developers, a lot of housing estates, a lot of individual landlords to provide space really for London and London based artists because most people couldn't travel. Travel was very restricted at the time. And it was so appropriate that the first London Mural Festival was really, really working with so much local talent um, because London has got an amazing artist community. The UK has got an amazing artist community that deserves and should be celebrated. And it really was during the first LMF. 
So we worked with 200 artists across 75 different sites in 13 different London boroughs. Um, there were some amazing experiences there, but very few live sort of experiences um, because there just couldn't be at that time. And then what we found was when we published the map afterwards, people did their own sort of self-directed cycle tours and whizzed around London looking for all the new art. And that was lovely. Uh, and, you know, that's <laughs> I'd do it again for that alone, <laughs> you know. Uh, of all the things that you can spend a career doing, helping artists put really lovely things in public space is worth, you know, many more uh, years than I'll be able to give in in my career. Um, and and so it went really well. And we were on BBC Breakfast, and and it got featured in loads of places and all the press. Uh, and and it was you know it was an investment from us. It cost money, but it was a brilliant thing to do. It was such an undertaking. And such a stretch. We knew we just weren't ready to do it every year, and it wouldn't be special if we did it every year. So we were like, "Look, we'll 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 start with every four years and see where it goes." So the next one's twenty twenty four, and so the next one's twenty twenty four. Gosh, we should probably start planning a bit more for it. But ultimately, we'll do outreach to as many developers as possible. There's loads of ways for people to be involved. There's no wall too big. There's certainly no wall too small. There's, like I said, there's a city of artists that really want to paint. That that every bit of space that we could colour is welcome. Um, and I'm really excited by it. I, I I hope the next one's bigger and better. It almost it's almost frightening for me to think about how we could possibly top the last. I'm not sure that we'll be able to, but I'm also not sure it really matters. It was great last time. I'm sure what we'll do in 2024 will be absolutely brilliant for London Mural Festival anyway. And it's going to look different from the last one because COVID isn't with us. So we'll see what impact that that has. Well, certainly people can come together for live viewings. They can watch the paintings a bit more than they did yeah. the, the process a bit more than they did last time. I I mean, you've you've done been involved in a lot of murals now. Do you have um favorite or some memories that stand out for you, some pieces that you you feel really proud um that Global Street Art's been part of creating? Oh, uh we've we 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 complete I think about like 250, I don't know, commercial projects a year, roughly on average for the last bunch of years. There are always highlights within that. There are some amazing achievements and things that have happened that I'm so proud of what the team has done. That you know, there's so many highlights, it's hard to know where to, to start. There's a wonderful large mural we painted for Ballymore in Brentford that you can see as you fly into Heathrow. So every time I fly into Heathrow or go in or out of the country, I'm like, we painted that. That's obviously a really wonderful thing. We've got ball courts that were painted with the support of Sky Sports and the English Cricket Board that, that are in like, I think that's Southwark or Lambeth. I think it's Lambeth actually, um, that are still there as like, used by the local community that have been painted beautifully there's a number of ball courts we've painted they're always wonderful projects i guess you know I, the mental health project we did in for the crown estate i think was really interesting yeah uh, in i think it was at worcester i can't just there's so many projects for stanhope we did an, a petrol station in west london years ago that was derelict that was well not derelict but a not used uh, and turned it into a really beautifully painted meanwhile space. Um, 
I'm just trying to think of all of the things that we've done with Savills that were amazing for the first London Mural Festival. They're, what a wonderful partner they are. Uh, Quintain, we've done some brilliant things working with originally Mr. Doodle when we first worked there. Uh, some really wonderful projects on their estate. We've done some wonderful things with councils, repainting the mural that I mentioned before, the original uh, Jones and Barber mural from the early 1980s that is right by uh, Warren Street Station in central London uh, for Camden Council was a really beautiful one. Whit, Whit, Ift or Field Gardens, I think it is. Museum Street, uh, which is one of the first things you saw of ours, I think actually maybe, but it's the the faux living wall. That's really beautiful. Um, uh, um, uh, it's just beautifully painted plants and flowers and it looks absolutely amazing still years later, even though there's a bit of graffiti at the bottom, but the majority of it's still there and looks brilliant. We, we work with a wonderful uh, agency called Solid Ground, um, to work on the Novella building in Manchester, well, Salford. Uh, that's an absolutely brilliant Novella building. Obviously, a bookcase is a really uh, appropriate design response. So, a bookcase with books celebrating local authors. When one of the authors of the books got in touch afterwards, like, can we get a print of the wall? Can you send me the high res photo? Wasn't that, that was a wonderful thing to happen as well? I think, you know, within the Art for Estates project, there's so many times we've just been on site and just just the gratitude of people for someone coming in and doing something a, a little bit nice just a little bit colorful as that's a bit unexpected and doesn't cost anything is always really wonderful um but you know the on the commercial side of the organization as well the hand-painted advertising that we do which i've really not talked much about today gives us the power to do things really quickly at massive scale often using really interesting special techniques because advertising often pushes for that. So some of the things that we've been able to bring in that have ultimately won advertising awards have been really cool things that we can do and use that expand the toolkit of what we can play with, basically, in public space. So what would that be? What would be some of the groundbreaking techniques? I mean, just to be clear, yeah. it's it's all hand-painted, so sometimes yes. that's paintbrushes and spray cans. I mean, it's what people... Yep. Yeah. would assume you're not yes. sending the drone robots to kind of no we we paint, paint by hand um but interactions with technology are common things and those are some of the innovations that we've had we had a project earlier this year working with uh google's cultural institute uh the project was adobe aero versus geospatial which allowed us to do ar on murals that not only comes off the wall like normal AR, but performs in the whole city block around it. So the thing that comes off the wall might roll down the street and turn left where the actual road is from an AR, see it through your phone point of view. Uh, and that was in Mexico, Los Angeles and London. And some really interesting technology. So AR does come up quite a bit. We've done some wonderful projects doing projection mapping over the top of murals that animates them at night. Basic things like using UV paint and UV lighting make really strong uh, uh, um, murals during night because the colours change. It's UV colours, so those really pop. So those are fun. We've used some very simple things to just burst the artwork slightly off the wall by extending a deer's antler, say, off the wall, something as simple as that. So some of the techniques and tools are actually really, really basic, really rudimentary, as simple as like aluminium plates that help take the design off the wall it just extends the surface um those are some of the, just some of them we've got yeah but there's also other wonderful paints there's paints that we're, we're we're experimenting with some of which we've used on bigger scale some of which we haven't hydrochromic paint that changes color when you put water over the top 
photochromic paint that changes color between day and night. You know, amazing companies like Dulux have got divisions of geniuses that develop amazing coatings that you can apply over the top of a mural or an amazing other paint, say, that has very interesting properties. One of the things that we also use is called reactive air. That is, uh, it, I think it's titanium dioxide, basically, is a suspension in a spray, which is a catalyst that removes volatile organic compounds pollution from the air. You can put that on a mural and basically make it clean or purify the air around it. So they don't change the look of the mural, but they change its function from purely aesthetic or narrative and community, but to also literally clean the air. So there's some cool things that we can do there, too. Wow, that is all um, super new to me and really interesting. I think, um, I, I mean, we kind of started without doing this definition, but you were very clear that there's a distinction between street art and graffiti. Is that something you have to explain a lot or do people get that there's a difference? Uh, um, well, either with street art or graffiti, you could be talking about an art, a crime and a, and a subculture. The, the distinction between street art and graffiti, the roots of the cultures are different. Uh, there is, you know, specific modern graffiti has a very different lineage um, and they're usually defined that if it's outside and it's paint, it's either one of them or it's the other one or maybe it's sign writing. Right. But they're, they're, they're occupying similar spaces often, but not always. But they look, you know, aesthetics is certainly one of the, the differences. Are there other misconceptions that people have about yeah, I think the main, the main misconception I think that people probably have is, is how easy or difficult it might be to commission something. It's really easy. There's organizations that awareness is the challenge. Most people don't know we exist. That, you know, if, if, if when people realize how easy it can be to pull up a design, but you're not obligated then to, 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 for it to be painted on a wall until you're happy because you're a client. So, you know, I think some potential clients don't realize that commissioning us say is a very similar process to maybe working with a design firm or an interiors firm for, for doing other things on parts of your estate. Uh, but the professionalism is there and has been for a long time. We have three ISO qualifications. You know, there, there's a lot of capacity and, and capability behind the scenes. And I think people probably just aren't aware that the level has already been reached to make it that much easier for you to do something really cool, quite simply. Is there any fear or people like, oh, what if it's political? What if people don't like it? What if the community is, you know, upset? I mean, you pointed out with the Art for Estates program, it's been, you know, hundreds of murals and very few people who have been anything but delighted. But is there a, um, you know, is there kind of a, any fear around around community reaction? So you've got to, the context is so important in terms of how you want to answer this question, right? So you, you've got to ask who's asking, who's who's potentially afraid? Is it the client? Is it the community? Is it a council? And is it a funded project? Is it a free project? Is it a commercial project? You know, is is who has to sign off? Who are the key stakeholders? Um, and, and the trepidation is usually probably more around the process than it is necessarily the end result. Because if everyone's happy with the end result and it's been signed off by the right people, i.e. everyone is on board and you've gone through the process to make sure of that, well, then it's just about execution. But you already know that everyone's going to be happy if you get it right. And then it's our job to get it right. But we do. So I'm not too worried about that bit. That's not supposed to sound arrogant, but we make sure that you know, you've, 
there's a what you, what you're expecting is what you're getting essentially you just want to make sure that the client is reassured and there's the guarantee that we're not walking away until the right people are happy you know and it's the level of happiness i mean like our client service level is is, is very high i just don't i'm not trying to back ourselves in the corner everyone has to be happy with every minutiae of detail but we're really really careful to make sure that yes this is hand painted yes it has an element of human uh, it is human craft but it's going to work for everyone that's a stakeholder in the project you know, this um, this podcast and the, and the work that we do is really about the space between the buildings. And, you know, I just kind of want to return to your mission for for painted cities and 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 what that looks like. Are you getting closer, hundreds of murals in to to a painted city? Um, and is there any, uh, you know, is there any tension between the work that you do from an advertising mural perspective and the other work that you do is all painted cities equal in your mind is it all equally beautiful great questions so with everything that we paint i think we get closer to what a painted city might look like but it is small incremental steps to something that is fundamentally doesn't have an end point and you can continue to strive for is there a tension between the advertising and the community? Of course, there is. It's the same for all outdoor advertising. Um, most people don't especially like outdoor advertising. But if you operate within a system that permits it, then it's a sensible commercial decision to be involved in it. From a point of view that if a brand can advertise in another way, you kind of want them. Would I rather a brand was doing a banner or a digital putting something on a digital screen? No, I'd rather it was painted if they're going to do it at all. But then there's some cities, Grenoble, Sao Paulo, where there just isn't, uh, I think it's Rio and Sao Paulo, but where there isn't outdoor advertising. There are restrictions on outdoor advertising. It's very tightly controlled in Paris, very tightly controlled in the Netherlands. And in those kind of places, what painted cities looks like manifests very differently. And it is much more community only, because that's all that the 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 legislation permits for so whatever the breadth of legislation is within an area i would like to see painting use that niche if that's commercial then you can do that too because they've said that they can have banners but if it isn't great that's fine as well let's do a whole bunch of murals but everywhere has said you know there's nowhere i know that is probably wouldn't be open to a street art festival so you should be able to do that everywhere i can't think that there's many, look, whether, when we paint in a housing state, it's the residents that say yes or no to whether we start, right? Ultimately, it's their space. Um, and they need to be in control of that yes, no, at various stages. There aren't many places that when they understand the program would in, would, would quickly say no. And there's so many housing states across the city and across the, the country that, you know, there's, there's um, a lot of ways that painted cities can look and include all of those things. Ultimately, there's a you're trying to strike an impossible but healthy balance between commercially viable, so you can pay your bills and keep going the next week, and value to your community in a broader sense. And I think it's an amazing. Uh, I've seen some of the um, art for estates, the resulting murals, and there are so many beautiful projects. I mean, so many that must instill a sense of of pride and then i know there's also um ones that also um you know really differentiate some blocks that often on these estates there is kind of repetition between the architecture there's kind of um you know kind of a map trying to tell you which one is which but of course yeah. you know these murals really do become place markers and yeah. um and really do change the kind of shape and identity of these uh blocks and i think that um 
and so much of the art is just very beautiful um, as well uh, from, you know, and, and kind of generous um, in, in, in size, certainly, but also, you know, it is kind of a free art show all around the city. So what's, what's not to like? I, I love the idea of taking a gallery and making it outside, of taking a museum, because you can't really have a museum of street art in the same way you can't really have a museum of architecture. The architecture is outside. What you do is you bring into the museum the scale models of buildings, uh, the, the other exhibits to talk about it and talk about the context, but then the actual thing happens outside. Just the very act of painting. It's funny, you, you said uh, place marking. The function, you know, it wasn't made necessarily with a function. It might just have been someone wanted to paint, but it takes on its function to the receiver who's basically said, ah, this is this building because it's got this piece of artwork. So it's interesting to me that there's knock-on effects and the act of just painting in and of itself can have a function and a benefit to, that, that was never perceived or, or intended by the original artist. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I love my job. I think probably um, it just leaves me to thank you, Lee, for talking to me about your job today. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, Christine. Thank you so much. It's been lovely coming on and saying hello. And I hope you start planning that London Mural Festival for 2024 because uh, it's soon and it sounds great. What month does it happen? August. Last time was August going into September. Um, we've started. Little, we have started. We have started, thankfully. And look, we're really excited. So if people want to get in touch with you or find out more, where do I send them? You can go to the new site is relaunching at globalstreetart.com. You can always email us. Unsurprisingly, our email is humans at globalstreetart.com. That gets the team. Uh, yeah, humans at globalstreetart.com. Um, but look, we're all over LinkedIn. Uh, we're pretty easy to find as well. So I'm sure there'll be links and bits and pieces, but we try and make ourselves uh, available to people. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer. Produced by Simon Mercer. With music by Fortet. 